a hot. Mark and Melissa, appreciate that. <laughs> now we're dead. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, if you will. Luke chapter 2. There we go. Luke chapter 2. Thank you, Mark and Melissa. Appreciate that so very much. Luke chapter number 4. I was just kidding. Luke chapter number 4, not Luke chapter number 2. I'm sorry. Luke chapter number 4 is where we'll be. Luke chapter number 4. You're joining me there, and uh, at least I got the book correct. It's been that kind of week, you know, so busy that uh, I often say that my mind goes so we were in the rehearsal for the wedding on a Friday afternoon, and we've had two graduations, a wedding, all kinds of things going on, and, uh, and I said that uh, we were just kind of going through the rehearsal and for Ethan and Bethany, and uh, I was saying how I was going to do the introduction to the wedding, how thanking the people for joining us on, and I said, Bethany and Brent's special day. Brent is her brother. <laughs> things you don't want to say. So ever since Friday afternoon till yesterday, I was fearful I would say it during the actual wedding. So thankfully we did not, and at least that I caught. Uh, so it's just, that kind of happens. And so when you talk a lot, you're going to make a mistake. And so Luke chapter number four, if you will, hope you'll join us there. Uh, this week as I was preparing this message and kind of looking forward to today, I, I did a very dangerous thing. I typed something into Google, and uh, what I typed into Google is this, the 10 most amazing things in history. The 10 most amazing things in history. See the title of the message, the most amazing man that ever lived, okay? Uh, the most amazing man ever. And uh, I typed it into it, and uh, again, always a scary proposition when you do something like that. And uh, thankfully, Time Magazine helped me out a little bit, and not did they just give me uh, 10 things, the amazing things in history, but they actually came up with a list of 50. Don't worry, I'm not going to share those with you. But among those 50, I thought there was kind of a couple that I thought were kind of interesting. Number one, this is kind of interesting, okay? Turkeys were once worshipped like gods. How about that? The Mayan Indians back in 300 BC, they um, heralded uh, turkeys as vessels of God, literally gods in, uh, in them and so forth. They honored them. Uh, they domesticated them. They were a part of, uh, they served a role in religious rites and practices. They were a symbol. <laughs> the turkey was a symbol of power. <laughs> Isn't that kind of funny? Power and prestige. And uh, they are fine throughout Mayan archaeology and things. What do you think they think about Thanksgiving? I don't know that that would go over well with the Mayans, right? And uh, if they worship the turkeys as gods. Number two, for all you artists out there, this is interesting. I did not know this beforehand, but the Olympics used to award medals for art. And uh, back in 1912 to 1948, they held competitions in fine arts, not just track and field and everything else, but fine arts. There was medals given for literature, for architecture, sculpture, painting, and music. And kind of interesting. Everything had to be somewhat Olympic-themed and so forth. Before it ended, they had handed out 151 medals and, uh, for arts and other things. So kind of interesting there. Kind of amazing. Didn't know that about the Olympics. Now, any of you children or teenagers that like to eat with your hands, close your ears, okay? At one point in history, forks were considered to be sacrilegious. Forks eating with them, and so forth. Why? Well, the word fork comes from the Latin furca, which means a pitchfork, and so association with the devil and so forth, and farmer's pitchfork. It was used in the 11th century in Tuscany, Italy to eat, and uh, the, the church didn't like that. The, the Catholic church at the time argued God had created humans with fingers so they could touch and eat God's food. Kids, do not try to use that, okay? 
that's what they argued. And so it was looked down upon, yet the, the church's disapproval didn't stop people from producing gold and silver forks to be used, especially there. In fact, it was a shocking sensation for about 100 years if people had forks on their tables and things like that. So anyway, those of you who are fans of condiments, I thought this was quite interesting. Ketchup was sold in the 1830s as a medicine. Ketchup, how about that? 1834, Dr. John Cook, Bennett, he added tomatoes. Now, this is kind of interesting. He added tomatoes to ketchup. You say, wait a second, how did he add ketchup to tomatoes? Listen, ketchup was originally a concoction of fish and mushrooms. Mm. I love mushrooms and I love fish, so I don't know. I thought that's, that's pretty good, all right? And, uh, but he added ketchup to it. And because he added ketchup to it, you know, obviously there's a plethora of vitamins and antioxidants and, uh, in the sauce. So he, <laughs> he, he decided to produce it as a medicine and promote it as a medicine. He said it would cure diarrhea, uh, indigestion, jaundice, and rheumatism. So you take it, eat some ketchup. By the 1850s, the whole ketchup medicine empire had collapsed. Later, obviously, it became the condiment, well known as the condiment we know it today. Last but not least, and uh, this is pretty interesting, probably some of you knew it to a degree, and, uh, but it's true. President Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States, is in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. All six foot, four inches of him. A wrestling hall of fame. Twelve years he participated in wrestling matches. He had 300 matches. He only lost one. Isn't that amazing? And uh, because of that, he actually won a county championship in wrestling in Illinois, the Illinois in which he lived. And he also won some form of a state or a, a national championship. And so later on, the National Wrestling Hall of Fame inducted the president into that. And so pretty amazing. And uh, maybe something to know and, uh, about our president. That's well, kind of interesting, and then that entire list, these facts are certainly interesting, amazing on some level for sure. Um, what was most sad about it, as I went down, oh, 50, okay, let's, let's read through these, and I read down through them, and what was sad was the most amazing man that ever lived, Jesus Christ, was not mentioned. Okay, now, you and I, there'd be people out in the world say, well, that's just cliche, you know, uh, uh, why would he be listed among the most uh, amazing things in history or amazing people even in that sense? Some might say, well, that's a, that's a stretch. Some might say, well, you're just biased because you're a Christian, that, that you, you think that Jesus Christ was the most amazing man. Others might just simply argue, well, that's just not true. But when I stand here today and I tell you that Jesus Christ was the most amazing man that ever walked the earth, I don't say it based upon personal opinion. I say it based upon eyewitness accounts of people who saw him, walked with him, talked with him, and watched everything he did. Those who would be like you and I as Christians and those who were not. People who witnessed how he lived. In other words... You don't have to take my word for it. In fact, you don't even have to take the, the human authors of the Bible's word for it. The testimony of the people, just like you and me, who sat with Christ, listened to Christ, talked with Him, saw Him, gave an amazing or an astounding testimony of the amazingness of Jesus Christ. So for the next few moments, I want us to see just how amazing Jesus Christ is. Look in Luke chapter number 4. We look at verse 16. Notice the statement that's found here. And he, that's speaking of Jesus Christ, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. 
Here's what it's written, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 20. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Don't you like that? I mean, he had their attention, their rapt attention. Their eyes are fastened on him. Here's what he says. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. All bear him witness. I believe at that moment you could probably hear the old pin drop, right? All bear him witness. They wondered, now note it, they wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Number one, I'd have you see that people were amazed at the gracious words of Christ. Not about you, that, that, that's an interesting terminology. I, I wanted to look it up in the original, just say, okay, well, it, it, does it mean gracious? I mean, as we think of the term gracious and, and what it is, and it's literally exactly, as the King James translators put it, it, gracious words. Now, here's what's interesting. All these people around him that are listening to him, or a good number of them, they don't, they don't like what he said. In fact, they will soon reject him. If we had the time, we'd look ahead, and we'd see in verses 28 and following, after he shares a few more things. You know what they did? They are angry. They are filled with wrath. They, the Bible says they thrust him out of the city. They chase him out. They take him to a cliff. And you know what they're going to do? That's what they want to do. They want to throw them off. So these are not people who are believers. These are not followers. In fact, these are people in the town that he grew up in. We just read it, Nazareth, that are rejecting him, don't want to hear what he has to say, basically looking at him like you're a heretic and everything else. But I want you to say, see, first of all, even though that is all true, they were amazed by his words. They were amazed by his gracious words term gracious as we see it used here is means that which affords joy pleasure delight sweetness charm loveliness there's a grace of speech it shows love and favor and to think as he spoke immediately their attention their eyes were fastened on him something about how he spoke so graciously caught their attention you see made me think and i hope you'll think with me this morning the God of the universe, the creator of all, the Savior, the one in whose hands all things are, the one and only sovereign of everything, has the right and the authority to speak to anyone in anything however he wishes. Do you realize the God of all creation has the right to speak however? If he wants to speak harshly, if he wants to speak, if he wants to speak not at all, he can do so. He has the authority. He has the right to do just that. He did not have to speak graciously to mankind who is nothing compared to him. He did not have to speak kindly and lovingly. He did not have to speak joyously. But Jesus Christ did. He did. And it's still the same way that God is speaking today, isn't it? I don't know about you, but it amazes me that the God of all creation, who mankind has rebelled against, has given us a book. Now listen to me carefully. Has given us a book whose message is all about hope, peace, love, comfort, salvation, and reconciliation. 
wait a minute, the God of the universe? who has every right to condemn you and I, who has every right to look at our sin and turn his back and say, hey, you're not worth it. What have I gotten in return for all that I've created? And yet the God of heaven speaks in love to you and I today. He's not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. He, He speaks in love to you and I. Not only in this situation, they aren't the only people who noted his gracious words, how he spoke. You see, there was a time when the very officers and soldiers of the chief priests and the Sadducees and Pharisees of Jerusalem were ordered by those in authority to go and capture Jesus Christ. John chapter 7. Okay? They were given the orders to go, and he was among the people, and, and preaching, and teaching, and things like this. And these soldiers, these officers were sent. Go, you need to go get him, bring him back here. We're going to try him. And their uh, intent and desire was certainly to put him to death. Well, those soldiers and those, uh, uh, those officers came back. And you remember, they came back empty-handed. You can imagine, guys, uh, where's he at, guys? Where's he at? Is he, in the, is he in the prison? Did you put him down there? Did you put him in? Is he outside? Or the other? Where's he at? So, as they were asked such, uh, to give an account for where he was, you remember their answer in John 7? The officers answered, never man spake like this man. We never heard anybody like it. The way he speaks with the people and the, the way that he, uh, the words that he certainly shares. And in fact, I, I, I think as we study the New Testament, we note something about his speaking, okay? The first of all was the substance, what he spoke about. They, uh, he spoke as one that had authority. Uh, there was something about his very words. Number two is also how he spoke. He spoke graciously and with authority. So there's substance in how he spoke. And then thirdly, the surety of his words. Okay. I, I remember still when the story is he and the disciples were headed to Jerusalem and the fig tree, yeah, he cursed the fig tree. You remember that? They came back later. What had happened to the fig tree? Shriveled up, right? Time and time again, the, Israel, the, the disciples, excuse me, and people around Jesus Christ saw in his lifetime, in the moments of his life, the surety of his words. Jesus said it, it came true. The fulfillment of prophecies, even as he gave them in their hearing, in their presence, they came to pass. You see, my friend, people were amazed when Jesus Christ walked this earth at the gracious words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Turn with me now. Very cursory study, surface, Matthew chapter 15. Look with me there, Matthew chapter 15, if you will. Matthew chapter number 15. We look at verse 29 and just a few verses, verses 29 through 31, if you will, with me, Matthew chapter 15. Jesus departed from thence, and he came nigh into the Sea of Galilee, and went up into the mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame and blind and dumb and maimed and many others. And I like this statement. Don't you love this verb? They cast them down at Jesus' feet. And he healed them. Can you just imagine? I could just say, they found him and they're like, let's put him right here. Don't, they're kind of blocking him in. So in their minds, he's got to heal them. He's got to see them. He'll trip over them if he doesn't heal them, right? And so they cast them down at his feet. And the Bible says, and he healed them. Notice verse 31. Insomuch that the multitude wondered. 
They wondered. They were amazed when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. Number two, people were amazed at the glorious works of Christ. They were amazed at the works of Christ. Okay, uh, they were amazed at his words, and uh, here they are amazed at his works. They wondered at the works of Christ that he did. They marveled at the miracles he performed. In fact, you'll find that word, wondered, marveled, amazed, all throughout uh, the meaning of the words within Scripture. They marveled at the miracles he performed. They were amazed at what was happening, don't miss it, right in front of their eyes. Could you imagine being there that day and just watching as one after another, one after another, one after another, Jesus Christ healed them. The lame walked. Did you see the description we just read, okay? The dumb to speak. Didn't that guy get up here? Wasn't he the one that couldn't talk at all? And he's walking away, talking and praising God. Wasn't that guy the one, wasn't he the one that came up here on the bed? They carried him? Yeah. Look at him. He's walking like you and me, even without a hitch, better than you and me. No limp, no nothing. Right before their very eyes. Hence the amazement we read of. And these people did something that every person ought to do. They equated the person of Christ with the God of heaven. There's an equal sign here, isn't there? Because they saw all this and they said, wow, that's amazing. Look at what he's doing. In the last part of the verse you and I read, what they do? They glorified the God of Israel. They glorified him. He could not do these things unless in their minds they were connected. He was connected to heaven. Here was the grace, the love of God given in fleshly form. And in their amazement, they realized the connection. There was never a person that did what Christ did here on this earth. Remember how Christ even stated himself? Here's what he said. He said this in John 15, 24. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did. God himself, who cannot lie, says, listen, there's... There's never been a man like Jesus Christ. The most amazing man that's ever lived. The most amazing man that you could ever talk about in history is Jesus Christ. Now, let's stop, step back a second. What if Jesus Christ were alive today? Could you imagine the TV, internet, social media coverage that Christ would get? And could you imagine, go viral, it would add new meaning to the word go viral. Did you, uh, did you get the video from Nazareth? Did you get the video from up on the hill where Jesus Christ did it? Did you see that? And all across social media and TV, I mean, it would be amazing, wouldn't it? The coverage that Jesus Christ would get with the wonderful works that he did. But that also helps you and I to say, wait a second. <laughs> That's true. And the fact is, we can now see how the Antichrist will deceive many. He'll try to rival Christ with powerful works. We, we know that he'll not be able to do anything like Christ did, but he'll still do some works and wonders. In fact, the Bible says this about him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. Even him who's coming after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of truth that they might be saved. I'm so thankful in the distinction we find here. What is it? Lying wonders. 
There'll be some who when the Antichrist comes and the tribulation happens and, and Satan is at work trying to deceive as many as he can before the end comes and the battle of Armageddon. The fact is this, my friend, there will be what appears to be wonders and miracles and such, but they will be lying wonders. There will be miracles not powered by God and they will be exposed as such. Yet Jesus Christ's wonders were true, genuine, and they were representative of heaven. These people observed it. He was amazing in his actions and his wonders and his miracles. Could I just encourage you? Many here, I would assume most of us are saved today, if not everyone. If you're not, certainly you know, we'll speak of it in a few moments here. We hope this would be your day of salvation. But if you're here and you are a believer, and I trust you faithfully read God's Word, could I encourage you to do one thing after today? Would you determine to never lose your amazement for the works of Christ. Determined, listen, every time I read the pages of God's word anew, I mean, I just want to stand in amazement of my Savior. Uh, we ought to be a little jealous, right? I mean, wouldn't it be great back when they, they heard the gracious words? I don't know about you, but I sure would like to hear the words of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you just love to hear Jesus speak? Hear those gracious words? Uh, my, my dad, obviously being pastor, I, he's given me a, a, a box of cassette tapes of his messages back going all the way to 1970. If you want to borrow some, I give it to uh, Cassette tape, kids, have your parents explain that. Um, cassette tape, okay? Wouldn't it be great to have Jesus Christ on a cassette tape? Wouldn't it be neat to have him on an eight track? Okay, we won't go any farther. Uh, but wouldn't it be great to have him on a record? Wouldn't it be great to have the voice of Jesus Christ just be able to listen to him? You know, I'm thankful for God's Word. I'm grateful we get to hear the voice of God through the Scriptures. But I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to hearing the literal very voice of Jesus Christ. To see what those people enjoyed that you and I have not yet. Thankful for the promise that we'll get to. I'm also a little jealous that they got to see Jesus Christ in action. In these ways. The very works of Jesus Christ. Truly, truly Amazing if we may describe it as such. So determine never to lose your amazement, the works of Christ, when you read the, the Gospels. Wonder at your Savior every time you read of his amazing works. Be inspired. Be in awe of who your Savior is every time you read them. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, if you will, just over a few chapters. Matthew chapter 8. People were amazed at the gracious words of Christ. People were amazed at the glorious works of Christ. Matthew chapter 8, we'll see one more thing. <clears throat> Matthew chapter number 8, verses 23 through 27. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he was asleep, and his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said unto them, Why are ye fearful, ye of little faith? Then he rose, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the waves obey him? The men marveled. The men were stood in amazement, okay? And uh, uh, disciples aren't sold, are they? They're not um, in full knowledge and understanding of who he is. They don't understand the fullness of him being the Son of God. Yet, they're standing in amazement. Okay? Because if they fully understand who he was, they wouldn't stand back and say, whoa, what manner of man is this? 
They wouldn't have asked that. So they weren't, uh, <coughs> excuse me, these weren't the, the disciples of, of Acts yet. These weren't the disciples of the, the great day of Pentecost yet. These guys were still growing. They're still learning who Jesus Christ is. And so they're standing in amazement, like, whoa, this is, who is this guy? Come to the full realization. And we would say this, and people were amazed at the ways of Christ. The ways of Christ. You could throw in there, Keep it a little literated. People were amazed at the God-like ways of Christ. You see what they're asking? What manner of man is this? He's not acting like a man. He's, he's acting like God. And Jesus Christ is probably thinking, duh. I've been trying to tell you. <laughs> I'm the son of God. I'm God. I'm the father in one. God-like ways of Jesus Christ. In this instance, the disciples couldn't get over the authority that he had over the physical world. The way, the authority he possessed and the ways of commanding it, directing it. I love the description here, don't you? He says what? He rebuked the wind and the sea waves. Now, think about that for a moment. He gets up and he rebukes them. Can you imagine what that was like? Parents here, you know what it means to rebuke a child, right? Stop that. Don't do that. Get off that right now. We know what it means to rebuke. We, we know what it means to correct. We know that they don't do that again or you'll regret it or something like that, right? Okay. We know how to rebuke. We know how to get on to our children in a way, okay? Uh, yeah. We all have experienced that. Now, picture it. They come to Jesus Christ. The waves are about overtaking the boat, as the description is. And so these are fishermen. They, they are used to storms, but this was no storm like they had ever experienced. And the reality was that that thing was shaking. The, the waves were coming into it. And they get to the back of the boat. And, they, and he was what? That was about 29.5% participation. Let's aim for 50 plus, shall we? He was what? He's asleep in the back of the boat. Now, I don't know about you. I have a hard time sleeping anywhere. Do you know somebody that can sleep anywhere? Doesn't matter where. Yeah, point to the person sleeping in church. Amen. That'll tell you who it is. And uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> okay. So he's asleep in the back of the boat, right? And uh, they come, they wake him. And what the Bible says? He stood up. He arose. He gets up. Now, this is amazing to me. Here they are. They're hanging on to dear life, likely. On the railings, on the side of the boat, whatever kind of boat it was. They're hanging on. They're clinging to life. And what does Jesus Christ do? He stands up. He stands up. And they're looking up at him, and they're amazed. What is he doing? And he stands up, and he rebukes the winds and the wave. Now, I can just imagine him saying something like this. All right, wind, that's just about enough. You stop blowing right now. Maybe he says something like this. Now, sea and waves, knock it off. You be still. And what's the result? There was a great calm. Hey, mom and dad. You ever rebuke your children, all of a sudden there's a hush that goes over everything? You walk into the room, who did that? It's just quiet. Knock it off. Hush. Now, can I tell you, these disciples are looking up at him. This is the most raucous storm that they have ever been in. They are fearing for their lives. Listen, you hear what they said? We're dead. We're going to perish. We're going to die. Jesus Christ stands up and says, Winds and waves, you stop it. And all of a sudden, what? Great calm. And they're kind of looking around. <laughs> and they, what's their response? Amazement. Bewilderment. They wonder. They marvel. And they, when they finally find their voice, 
what manner of man is this? May I just tell you right now, Jesus Christ is the most amazing man that ever lived. The most amazing. Here he is. He rebukes the winds and the waves and the storms. And nature itself hushes. Quiet. His ways in this world were truly amazing. And we could go well beyond this. The God of the universe loved children. Suffer the little children to come unto me. We'll look at somebody and we'll say, oh man, they're really good with children. Oh, they're really good. Can I tell you right now? Jesus Christ was good with everyone. He handled children well. He handled the Pharisees well, the, the unbelieving. He handled his disciples, the doubters, the believers. He handled the sick, the weary, the, uh, the heartbroken. He handled them all. His way was godlike in who he was. It was amazing in his ability to handle each and every person. No man ever moved or lived as he did. No one was ever nor will ever come close to mirroring the amazing ways of Jesus Christ. You see, friend, people were amazed at his gracious words. They were amazed at his glorious works. And they were amazed at the godlike ways of Christ. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9, if you will. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. We pick up in verse 37, Luke's account here of a story he submits. And it came to pass on the next day when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is my only child. So it's an only child here. And lo, a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him that he foameth again, and bruising him hardly departeth from him. Look at verse 40. And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. Okay, now listen, right now the disciples have failed. And uh, they are discouraged, it hasn't worked. They tried to cast out this demon, this evil spirit, they couldn't. Their words were not powerful enough to cast out the demon that possessed the boy. So the father finds Christ, and he, he speaks out of this great company. He comes to Christ and says, uh, Christ, Christ! And he comes to him and says, basically, I want you to do what your disciples could not do. So Jesus Christ tells him, bring your son to me. Look at verse 41. Notice it. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. And I like the first part of verse 22. It says this, and as he was yet a coming. <laughs> okay, it's good southern speak. And, yet he, and, and as he was yet a coming. Okay, so what we can picture. Okay, the father goes, he gets his son and he maybe grabs him by the hand or whatever. Says, son, I, I want you to come over here. Come, come this way. He leads him to Jesus Christ. And just about the moment that the demon, the evil spirit possessing the boy, catches sight of Jesus Christ. He's like, oh, oh I don't want to have anything to do with him. I, 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 no way. No, we're not going there. And so the Bible says what? The demon casts him or throws him on the ground and starts whipping around. Now, you and I, if we want to have a modern picture of it, if you've ever seen somebody um, go into a seizure, that would be a pretty good picture of it. 
Except this was due to demon possession. I still remember the first time I had ever, as a child, saw somebody go in an epileptic seizure or another type of seizure, and uh, not a sight you soon forget, right? And uh, how the body and, and things, and in that case, the Bible, uh, excuse me, the person, their, their body, they were fly, things were flying. They actually had a Bible. They threw that, and they were shaking all over the place. So you can imagine that was something like this was transpiring. And I, I love how the story plays out. In, in other words, I like to put it this way. What did the demon do? He saw Christ, and he threw a fit temper tantrum because what did he know his minutes and that boy were limited he understood he understood who was before him he has power (laughs) he's one with authority jesus christ then what steps up and speaks up look at verse 42 and he was as he was yet a coming the devil threw him down he tear him And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit. He healed the child and delivered him again to his father. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ speaking words of authority and power and healing the child. And can you just imagine, I I think this, I, I love to imagine how it played out. He cast out the demon and Maybe the boy's sitting there. We don't know his age. We do know he's his only child. So we would take the terminology of child. Jesus Christ either reaches down and maybe Jesus Christ picks him up. Or at the very least, he reaches his hand down to lift the boy up and the boy stands and he leads him back to his, and I love the terminology, delivered him to his father. Brought him back, healed. I'll tell you, no one else can do that. He's an amazing man. In fact, we would put it this way. People were amazed at the powerful words of Christ. He spoke gracious words, but he also spoke powerful words. There's God-like, God-like ways. There's glorious works, but there are also powerful words that our Savior spoke. Look at verse 43. Here's the response. They were all amazed at the mighty, what's the next word? Power of God. They weren't just amazed at him. They said, this is God. This is, he is the power. He is God. He's the power of God. But while they wondered, there's another term. Maybe all that Christ did, he said to his disciples. We'll stop there. But the picture is for us, right? They're, they're marveling. They're wondering at the power of God, the actions of, of Jesus Christ. It blew their minds. They couldn't comprehend the power, the, the powerful words of Jesus Christ, where even the demons obeyed him in his commands. Amazing man did amazing things that had powerful words. They'd never witnessed anything like that, and they never witnessed anything after it. Similar instance happened or occurred, too, in Matthew chapter 9. Last passage we turn to. Look with me there. Matthew chapter number 9. Look at verse number 1, if you will. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 1. Matthew chapter 9, and we'll pick up verse 1. We'll read down through verse number 7, if you will. Matthew 9, 1 through 7. He entered into a ship, and he passed over and came into his own city. Okay, now that's Capernaum. Uh, before there, Matthew 4 or something like that, we we're told that he dwelt in Capernaum for the time of his ministry. So he entered into a ship, he passed over, he came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. 
And behold, certain of the scribes and said within themselves, this man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore, thank ye evil in your hearts. For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, go unto thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, They marveled, they wondered, they were amazed, and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. Okay, I love this. He not only demonstrates his power in one way, but two ways. Just like the miracle and the casting out of the devil, Jesus Christ commands this man to do what? My paraphrase, of course. Arise, take up your bed, go home. Walk to your house. Take up your bed and go. And Arise and walk. Great and wonderful. But he also spoke some other powerful words. Just as equally, if not more so, amazing and wonderful. It's words that those scribes described here took issue with in their own hearts and minds. What were they? Simply this, thy thy sins be forgiven thee. When he said that, what did they think? Oh, the scoundrel. He's a heretic. He's blasphemous. How dare he say that? Only... God can forgive sins. Who does he think he is? What kind of power does this man think he has? He possesses. Well, Jesus, and again, I think there are many times here on earth that Jesus just shook his head. Maybe smiled to himself. Because the Bible says this, and I've said it before. Boy, whenever you're around Jesus Christ, you better be careful what you think. Because he has a way. And, and frankly, my friend... For you and I today, we've got to be careful what we think all the time because Jesus Christ knows our thoughts. But boy, in that day, these people didn't know Christ well. And those guys, are thinking to themselves, they said within themselves, he's a blasphemer. Mm. Who does he think he is? Jesus Christ then addresses them. And you catch what he says, and again, my paraphrase. Why are you thinking such evil thoughts about me? Tell me, what takes more power? And what is easier? For me to heal a man of a temporal, physical malady, or for me to heal a man of his eternal, spiritual sin stain? I've thought a lot about that question. He says, what is easier? Literally, what takes more power? Is the antithesis or the opposite, the other end of that, or the other side really is what it is. What takes more power? And I thought, well... What, what, what answer Christ could answer for us? What would he say? Here's what I think he would say. Neither of them is easy. Both take power. And I'm going to show you that I have the authority and the power to do both. And so he heals the man. He tells him to rise and walk, demonstrating his power to do just that. He has the power to heal spiritually. He has the power to heal Physically. Now, whew, Jesus Christ would we're here today. Wouldn't you love for him to heal your physical issues? Wouldn't that be great? I'd love for him to touch this knee, this foot, my aneurysm, many of us. I, I mean, it would be fantastic if we had a healing service right here. Jesus Christ is at the front like they did on that hill, and then we come. Some of you, you know, we'd, be, we'd all be getting in line. Some would be pushing in line to get to the front, amen? 
I could just picture Lori Stevens pushing me out of the way for her knee to get healed. Anyway. But we'd be like, yeah, hallelujah, amen. And, and that would be wonderful. That would be great. I, boy, I'd love for Jesus Christ to touch my knee and heal it just like that. No more pain, no more hurt. I'd I love for uh, Andrews. i love for everything. And many of you have greater issues than I do, hurts and pains and so forth. That would be wonderful. I would rejoice if Jesus Christ healed me physically. But can I tell you, it is so much greater to be healed spiritually. And he did it. And he did it. He has the power to do it. My friend, we serve an amazing Savior. He saved me. He saved you. Now, let me ask you this. Let's nail down the amazing aspect of Jesus Christ. When was the last time someone offered to forgive your sins? To open the very gates of heaven, close the very gates of hell for you for all of eternity. You see, I've, held, I've had doctors sit across from me and tell me, oh yeah, we can help you with that. <laughs> I can tell you how that worked out sometimes. But I've never had someone sit across from me and say, hey, listen, I can forgive you of every one of your sins. I can open the gates of heaven and I can close the gates of hell for you. Not one person has ever done that for me. But Jesus Christ hath. For every one of us. You're sitting here today Jesus Christ is an amazing Savior. He's done what only He could do. He offers amazing grace. No one else has ever done that for you, but He has done the impossible. See, Jesus Christ is truly the most amazing man and Savior you and I could ever hope for. But what are you going to do about it? What will you do? You can be indifferent to the truths we looked at today, but... You will stay, or excuse me, you will not stay indifferent to these truths when you take your last breath and enter into eternity, and it will be too late. You say, hey, I admire that. I admire his amazing life and all that he did. But may I just tell you right now, that admiration will do nothing for you in eternity. You can fear him, but that fear will be a sad companion in hell for all of eternity. You can scoff, you can doubt what the Bible says that Jesus Christ is, but that will be of little comfort for you when you spend eternity in hell in the lake of fire. Or you can put your faith and trust in the most amazing man that ever walked this earth. Repent of your sins in your own way and turn to him in saving faith. His name is Jesus Christ. And though he may not make Time Magazine's top 50 amazing things in history, my friend, he is the most amazing thing and person ever in history. And he alone died on the cross for you. So would you let him be more than just the most amazing person that ever lived today? Will you make him your savior? Trust in him. If you say, Pastor Henry, I've already done that. Well, don't you think such an amazing savior and Lord is worth living for? Don't you think he's worth being a disciple of? Don't you think he's worth anything you and I can offer? What have you done with the most amazing man that has ever lived? Father, thank you.